Greetings and welcome to the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres. I'm your host today, and I have a very special guest. He has a professional background like none I've ever seen. Mr. Todd Scatini is currently the global CEO of Harvest 360, a cannabis consulting, intellectual property, and technology company, as well as chairman of the board for Blue Diamond Ventures Incorporated. And in addition to these two responsibilities, he's also an, an advisory board member for the Missouri Cannabis Trade Association. Prior to entering the cannabis industry, Todd was a commissioned officer in the United States Army, where he served as a defense attache to Slovenia and as a senior representative of the U.S. Army's Training and Doctrine Command in France and the Czech Republic. He is a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point and the Naval Postgraduate School. Todd, thank you very much for being here today. How are you? I'm great, Miguel. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for the conversation. Now, I started researching folks that were working in the cannabis industry in 2015, when, when I started getting myself ready for possible retirement in 2020 or 21. And it wasn't until about a year or so ago that I saw your name and it was connected with a veteran's group that is advocating for the VA to use cannabis. And I looked at your profile and I've never seen anybody with a profile like that. So I'd like to ask you how you came from being a military officer in the U.S. Army to global CEO, chairman of the board and advisory at companies around the world, within the nation and within a state. <laughs> well, it's thanks, Miguel. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot. It's been a really cool journey. Um, and thank you for your service, by the way. Um, you know, and, and I'm proud to have served alongside, you know, you and, and, and folks and, and, you know, it really defined who I am, my service to the nation and my time in uniform. It, 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 it took me to incredible places and taught me amazing things. And, um, you know, now I'm, I'm doing my very best to take all that, uh, that, that we learned in the military, you know, all of the good stuff that we, that we learned about, about, leadership and uh and drive and and mission completion and applying it now to the cannabis space in the hope of you know really leaving this world a better place um because you know as as you you clearly understood as well as you were you were departing the military um i recognized when i was leaving even before i was well before that that the re-legalization of cannabis was nearly inevitable um, and that it really represented a paradigm shift in, in you know, our human existence here. Um, you know, the, the prohibition of cannabis has had so many negative impacts uh, on, our, on our world. Uh, and, but that's only within, that's only like 87 years of our, our time, you know, 87 years of, of, of our relationship with this plant, which is, you know, as you know, ancient you know, our world's oldest medicine and well-known medicine. Um, so, so I don't know, it was, it was a very long, strange trip to come out of the military and come into this. And so I know it's a little bit odd, but, but just, you know, a little bit about my background. I, you know, I, I did. Just so I, you know, I, Todd, in, I found it, I found it completely inspiring because I thought, oh my gosh, here's a guy who's done way more than me in the military, not just nationally, but internationally. And he sees it. 
he sees the value <laughs> in this thing. He sees the value in this thing and he's all in. So I apologize, but it, no, not at uh, all. Not at all. But you know, we were trained that way, right? I was, yeah. I was really lucky, you know, in the military, I, I enlisted first um where here, yeah. yeah so i was an enlisted guy uh, i was a linguist in the army i went to train to train i learned czech and slovak first at the ah, defense okay. language institute um in california and then i was lucky enough to be accepted to the west point preparatory school and then on to west point so i spent four years at the academy where i majored in russian and german oh, wow. uh then I was commissioned as an armor officer and a cavalryman. And uh, it was an amazing time to, I got to lead, uh, you know, uh, scout platoons and tank platoons. And then uh, I, I was able to command a cavalry troop in Germany. And then I became a foreign area officer, right? Which is kind of this uh, particular type of officer that the army trains to focus on particular regions of the world. And because uh, when I started, uh, foreign area officer training, I be, I was you know, already had three languages under my belt, you know, Czech and Fre uh, Czech and German and, and, and Russian. Um, and so I began, I was able to get Europe as my area of focus. So from uh, after my troop command, I was able to serve in the Czech Republic, in Belgium, in France. Um, I was the army attache in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Where before I got, I got to learn Serbo-Croatian for that. Um, then I became the senior defense official and defense attaché in Slovenia. Um, and so through all of that, I got to see so many different cultures and so much history and really, you know, walk the ground of, of, of European history from, you know, especially from the World War I period all the way to like the Ottoman Empire period in, in Sarajevo where I was living, you know. And so um, that's why, and by the way, that's why I'm so excited for, to have this conversation because cannabis intersects in all of those places. It certainly you know? does. It's certainly, it, it's, oh, it's yeah. worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just got a message this morning saying that Slovenia is going to legalize medical cannabis. And by the way, the last meeting that I had in Slovenia uh, was with the president and uh, he and I had a, a, a really interesting conversation about medical cannabis. This was back in 2016. Um, but yeah, and so now it appears to be to be happening, hopefully. Um, so so like I said, the army sent me all over the place um, to all these incredible countries. At one point in time, when I was when I when I left Bosnia and headed to France to be the liaison officer uh, to the French army, um, I got an assignment to go serve in Afghanistan. Uh, so I was asked to come serve for the commander of the International Security Assistance Forces, um, okay. a four-star general named General John Allen. He and you know he was kind of like the Eisenhower of this entire operation in Afghanistan at that point in time. You know, I mean, okay. this is the largest military coalition that has ever existed uh, because you have all NATO allies plus you had about twenty-four other countries. And, and what, um, year, what, what year did you do that? That was twenty eleven to twenty twelve. Okay. Yeah. And so it was really, it was only six months, but, you know, it was probably the most, um, I guess, impactful six months of my military career. It was the best assignment I've ever had. It was the, I felt like I was really making a difference because I was able to, you know, we were preparing General Allen for uh, meetings with international figures, you know, presidents and prime ministers and, and really kind of helping guide uh, the strategic level of the war. And, 
at one point he asked us to, to kind of figure out a way to create an industry for the Afghans, right? So that they could, you know, elevate themselves from the inside. Um, and, you know, we had looked at all kinds of other models. We looked at Plan Columbia, which was really just fueling a drug war. And, and it was a complete and total failure. Uh, and then we also looked at the Soviet approach to, uh, to addressing, um, you know, in Afghanistan, where they were paying essentially for the, the, the Afghanistan to survive. And then when the, the Soviet Union broke up, they were no longer able to pay. And then the Najibullah government fell, and the Taliban took over, and we know the rest of the story from there. Um, so we didn't want to do that. So I came up with this concept essentially to take, you know, uh, to replace the, the poppy crop with hemp crop, right? They were already really good at growing weed because they grow it in huge numbers for, uh, you know, huge amounts for um, the hashish crop that is a very traditional crop, but is also a crop that, that is illegal on a global scale that they were then shipping out to prohibition markets. And the profits were coming back in the forms of IEDs and uh, funding and training and weaponry for the Taliban. So I thought maybe, you know, we could flip the script a little bit and switch them to hemp which, you know, through a little bit of study at the time, I knew that, that we had about an 8,000 year history with this plant, um, that it could be a source of food, fuel, fiber, building material and medicine. And that was the thing that really struck me too, that this was a source of medicine and had been, I, I then found out up until 1930. Oh, Tata. There we go. So you, I, you cut out a little bit, but the last thing I, we heard was uh, up until 1930? Up until 1937. You, okay. I mean, I know this, but the, the you know, up until 1937, uh, cannabis was the second most prescribed medicine in the American pharmacopoeia and just widely used, you know, and, it, and like I said, it's been found at the, in, you know, ancient tombs in China and Egypt and, and around the world. So, um, but what I recognized quickly were there were military applications to this plant, both on the materiel side and in hemp and on the agricultural side, but on this medicine side, I was like, wow, there's really something going on here. And I started getting onto these like chat rooms and things like that. Oh, by the way, I made this recommendation in Afghanistan to, you know, transition it over, grow hemp instead of weed. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of fell on deaf ears. But at the time, I mean, this is over a decade ago, right? Yeah. We weren't this far along in the cannabis conversation, um, either in the United States or on a global scale. And so things have really sped up since then. But so it was it was kind of uh, laughed at a little bit. And then we moved on, you know, and, 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 and got to fight the war. Um, but, but for me, I was just hooked and I was really hooked because, uh, you know, I, I learned about the roots of our own prohibition being incredibly racist and being incredibly greed and economically motivated. And, and in doing that, we, we, we really, um, I don't know, we, we've had some really deleterious effects of this, right. Both, both on the, on the on a societal scale, just using the prohibition of cannabis to crush and to, to control uh, communities of color, uh, right? You know, the initial prohibition was really directed towards the Hispanic community, right? And I grew up Marijuana's in a household, man. Marijuana, that, that devil yeah. weed coming up from the South. Absolutely. I understand, I've, 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 I've looked into it myself, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I grew up in a, in a Hispanic household. My stepfather's Mexican, my brother's okay. sister Mexicans, you know, my, my uh, high school I went to was like 90% Mexican. And, you know, and where was uh, that at? Uh, in California, in Bakersfield, okay. California. Right yeah. On. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I saw that, I was like, man, that's awful. And then I started reading about the, the, you know, the fact that not only did we prohibit marijuana, you know, this new term marijuana that was demonized so bad, we also, we also prohibited hemp, you know, I mean, like the original plant that we were planting in the United, well, on, on this continent, when we showed yeah. up on hemp sales, you know, the, one of the first things that we, that colonists were required, I shouldn't say we, cause I didn't come here, but uh, <laughs> what colonists were required to plant hemp, you know, because it was so, you know, providing fuel, uh, providing food, providing uh, fiber, uh, mostly and bedding and all kinds of things like that. It was, it was incredibly useful and heavily sought after in a, in a, in a, in a, I guess, a, a thread that connects our entire country somehow. And it really does run through our entire history, right? All of the good stuff and all of the bad stuff. And so when we prohibited marijuana and at the same time prohibited hemp, we took away a crop that helped build this nation up until 1937. And it was all because, you know, uh, William Randolph Hearst and DuPont Chemical and all of these companies uh, saw hemp as cutting into their bottom line because at that point in time, the timber industry and, and paper industry owned by William Randolph Hearst, right? And, 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 and who started using yellow journalism to, to spread reefer madness of this new devil's weed marijuana. Oh my uh, goodness. Yeah, isn't it crazy? It is anyway, man-made, so man-made completely. Yeah. So long story short, bottom line, I was like, this is not right. This is un-American. I'm going to keep my eye on this marijuana thing. And I, man, I just started reading every single thing I could, watching every documentary I could, um, talking to people who actually used marijuana, you know, and all of that stuff and, and figuring out uh, what was going on for them. And in doing so, Oh, by the way, you know, when I when I left Afghanistan, I came back to, to Paris and it was really cool. That's where my family was. And, and so I did this uh, liaison officer job. But I was able to walk through hemp fields in France, you know, because the rest of the world never prohibited hemp. You know, the rest of the world kept charging on. They're like, you know what? Our cops can tell the difference between these huge, tall stalks here and the short, bushy, flowery plant that is marijuana. Uh, so they kept on using hemp. You know, Canada, China. China is the biggest producer in the world of hemp today. Um, and so, I don't know. I was just really hooked on this subject. I recognized that there was something here. And so I really wanted to stay connected with it. So in France, I, I really started digging into it, researching it uh, on a very personal level. Um, and then from France, we went to Slovenia, where I was for three and a half years, where they, they grow hemp as a traditional crop uh, in certain regions of Slovenia. And I, I certainly made a ton of connections throughout that uh, cannabis community. I also learned about the Balkans and Central Europe and Czech Republic, which was near and dear to my heart because I spent a year there going to their command and general staff college. I learned all about uh, the, the hemp industry there. Um, you know, and so I knew that I wanted to get out and be a part of this industry because I knew that it was, it was going to be legalized and I could be a part of perhaps legalizing that and, and making my own dent and, and 
And in the end, I decided that what I really wanted to do was be able to, you know, affect U.S. government policy on cannabis and hemp and to help build an industry from the underground up, right? This is something that we smashed underground for over 87 years. And, and now to bring it back up out of that, it has to be done very carefully. And it has to be done in a manner that addresses you know, so many of the issues and ills that were created by its prohibition, right? Yeah. And not only that, to really look at it, because in this manner, right, since 1937, we haven't really been able to research this plant and no Precisely. one's funding looking into this plant. No one's, you know, everything about it, people are scared and, uh, you know, they, they were unable to, uh, from, a, from, a, uh, from a legal standpoint, well, now, and, and in between that time, in those 87 years, by the way, you think uh, technology may have advanced a little bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now... So now we're at this point in time where this industry is bubbling up, right? Hemp is already just going gangbusters. But now we're at this moment in time where we get to take the most advanced technologies and apply it to the most complex plant that the world has ever known, right? And, and you know, it is, yeah. it is amazing just to hear you talk about this, Todd, because I'm like, wow. I mean, in the military, it's like, it's almost like you've got to stay very clear of all that kind of stuff to avoid any hint of it, any hint of yeah. it. So, so just the fact yeah. that you research, I mean, I, I, mean, I was doing it too. I was researching it when I was in 2015. It is, it is, uh, it is something that you believe in, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what, that's what mm -hmm. drives us as humans to go in a direction. It's like, uh, we believe in this. And then what we mm -hmm. believe is, is what we believe and whether that's grounded soundly or not. You know, a lot of people make unsound decisions. This one, mm -hmm. so with the, my view of it is, I'm a Christian, and I and I believe in creationism, and that includes the plant. And the fact mm -hmm. that it's been discovered that we have an endocannabinoid system to feed that needs to be fed, that lines up. There's a, yeah. there's a system. There's fuel for that system. That's fuel for that system has been provided by our maker. It's there for us to use. So my next question for you is, is uh. What are your companies doing and your advisory positions doing in the in the state of Missouri, in the country, around the world? I mean, that, mm -hmm. like you truly are like worldwide, national, national and regional. And that's unique. Yeah. And that's a lot to balance. And, 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 you know, that's a lot of work. So I'd like to ask you how you mm -hmm. do it. And what you and, and what oh, these companies how do. Really, well, well, maybe not how, because <laughs> but what they sure. do, like like well, the uh, maybe I'll give you, okay. I'll sum I'll summarize the how. Yeah, I'll summarize the how as you know I, I, the exact same way that I did in the military, and that that they train us to do in the military is you know um, to be mission focused to be mission oriented, to be a critical thinker and, and use creative solutions to come up, you know, with, or use, use creativity to, to come up with really creative solutions to super complex issues, right? Um, and so I surround myself by geniuses all the time uh, and, and we apply technology wherever efficiencies can be made. Uh, we hustle, we work our butts off Man, I'll tell you what, 
um, we work in, in numerous realms, right? So uh, I'm trying to provide leadership and, and push this paradigm shift of, of the re-legalization of cannabis and hemp, right? Because I believe that the re-legalization will have in, incredible societal impacts if, if we employ it, if we, if we, if we re-legalize in a very thoughtful, future-focused manner, right? Those, the, the effects of this paradigm shift are social justice, right? No longer putting human beings in cages for a plant that has never killed anyone and is probably the most therapeutically active plant we've ever known, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and alongside that, by the way, is social equity within the cannabis industry, which is what uh, one of the main things that my company focuses on is, is helping people get licenses who don't look like me right, who don't look like 99% of the cannabis industry because this, this is a societal impact. And so what we are working on now is uh, educating and training uh, people within communities of color. We write applications for people to be licensed. Um, and, and the majority of those, the vast majority of those are people of color, women, and veterans. And that's where, that's kind of like the box we like to stand in because, you know, uh, everyone else has a leg up. Everyone else has had a leg up for a very long time. And there's a community where I think that we can really impact through education and training and preparing them to be a part of the cannabis industry. Okay. You, you know, know, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. And, and so this, this is a big complex thing. Man. It so is. It sorry. is. I, I, got no, I find it, I find it completely inspiring mm -hmm. that you and the previous person I interviewed, Anthony Lloyd, cat retired 06 from the Coast Guard, have both dedicated your vocation throughout your life, starting at a very early age, like before you're even a senior in high school. Because I know when, when you apply to these academies, you have to start freshman, oh, sophomore no. year almost, right? Or maybe even earlier. No. Not me. No, no, no. I wasn't that guy. No, remember oh, no? I was an enlisted guy. No, oh, that's right. The you first... did enlist. That's right. The first thing I did when I, I forgot, graduated, but, but I, I saw the West Point Academy grad. So you did get there, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, I made it. I made it. The first thing I did after graduating high school was fail out of junior college and then wreck my car. So I had to go into the army. And <laughs> you know what? It was the best thing that ever happened to me. It, it entirely changed the trajectory of my life. And, you know, it, 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 it's something that just changed everything for me. And I was so very fortunate and I was so very fortunate to get to go to West Point. Um, you know, what a privilege it was. Uh, and, and the community uh, of people that, that I built, or, you know, the, that I met and came into contact with there is just unbelievable. And the leaders that came out of that institution and continue to come out of that institution are just so inspiring for me. Um, you know, I really look to what they did in their lives and in their military careers to inform how I, uh, how I operate and, and the intention that I work on. This is the cool thing about it, man, is that you spent your life trying to help other people. And even though you're done with the U.S. Army, you're still dedicating your life to helping other people. And that is inspiring because... I don't want to go too far into current events, but it doesn't take much to see that there's a lot of negativity in the ears mm -hmm. and in the eyes. Mm -hmm. and it takes 
real dedication and focus to say, I'm not going to listen to that because it's distractions. There are mm. real people that I know that I can help. And there are people that I don't know, but the work that I do can help them too in some way, shape or form. And it's inspiring to me. I'm, I'm thankful that you're on the show. I am really thankful because people like you have unique stories and man, they're, 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 they're motivating, they're inspiring. So the, the second job that you have, Blue Diamond Ventures, Ventures. Incorporated, Correct. chairman mm-hmm. of the board, right. similar, similar type mission or similar type mission, different approach. The exact same mission, okay. Uh, but but the same and 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 part of the same vehicle. You could so Blue Diamond Ventures is the publicly traded company. It play, trades at BLDV on the OTC, um, and so under Blue Diamond Ventures, we merged with Blue Diamond Ventures about two and a half years ago, okay. Um, okay. And, and then took over the board. No, no, no. It's 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 confusing for everyone. So I end up doing a lot of hand waving. But it's essentially, if you can imagine, Blue Diamond Ventures is the higher headquarters. And under that is Harvest 360 and H360 Labs. Okay, Okay. so Harvest 360 is really the engine uh, of the entire thing. And that's the consulting side. Both of these, both of those companies, by the way, are consulting and IP and technology companies. Because, you know, as I was imagining getting out of the military and leaving, I wanted to I wanted to do something that took into account all of my skills, all of my languages, uh, my diplomatic skills and understanding of strategy and things like that. And, and, and somehow apply it to the cannabis industry the same way that I was applying skills to uh, my job as a defense attache, right? So instead of uh, forwarding U.S. foreign and defense policy, I would be forwarding, um, you know, initiatives and, and IP and technology and advances that are being made in the North American cannabis industry. And really, I mean, the American cannabis industry is what, what I'm focused on. I kind of have a strict no Canada rule at the moment. <laughs> it's an arms race. <laughs> Let me ask you this, man. So, because as, as somebody who transitioned out of the military also, it's like, well, did you find that shift in your thought process going from the work that you did in uniform to no longer having uniform on? And now you don't have these restrictions upon you. And now you actually have autonomy to go in directions that you want or and have passion in mm-hmm. it was how what was that transition like because it's been a little weird for me i've had mm-hmm. a plan and i've and i've been mm-hmm. walking that plan out but as i'm walking out i'm like well i really didn't expect to to encounter these experiences did how was it for you yeah yeah it was it was similar the the cool thing was so i got to finish my career stateside. I got to finish my career at Fort Leavenworth, where we started our conversation. Uh, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, which is the home of the Command and General Staff College. Um, It's really like the mid-level education where we teach majors and senior captains to eventually be generals, right? We teach them strategic thought. So I I was working in the Department of Joint Multinational and Interagency Operations. And, um, you know, the entire time I was preparing for my exit, right? That meant that every morning and every lunch and every evening, I was having conversations with people that I was connecting with on LinkedIn to build and establish my network. It was during that time frame as well that uh, I met my other teammates from Harvest 360, David Serrano and Sebastian Nassau. Uh, David Serrano is a Navy vet, by the way. Um, right and that's what, that's what really brought us together, by the way. 
that is okay. what really brought us together uh, was, was our veteran background. Cause we were working together to get PTSD on the list of qualifying conditions in Colorado. Um, and so, like I said, I was, I was building this on the way out of the military in preparation for it. And, you know, I think my wife kept asking me, I was like, what are you doing? How is this going to work? And I'm like, I'm not sure, but hang on, you know, I can, <laughs> and, <laughs> I can relate, man. You're like, what are you doing all this time on your phone? Looking at that. Cannabis, not uh-huh. pornography. We're talking about cannabis. We're talking about cannabis, not <laughs> what are you doing? Looking at all this stuff on your phone. Well, you stuff, you're just like, it, it's, I can relate, man. It, it's a funny thing. And, that, and that's, yeah. the, that's the complete like separation from being in uniform sure. and out. Yeah. But so, so, so liberating, I have to say, like, and the fact that it's really kind of starting to come together, all of this stuff I've been telling people for a very long time is starting to come true and in, in, a, in a very rapid fashion, in a really unique way. Um, but I left the military in January of 2018. And, and uh, I, I, I shouldn't say never, I didn't, I never looked back like I could go back in or anything like that, but I look upon it incredibly fondly. Um, I would have loved to have continued to serve, but there was a big mission on the outside. I knew that this plant could save lives. I knew this plant could increase the survivability of our soldiers in combat. I knew this plant could uh, improve the lives of active duty personnel and their families. I knew that this could improve the well-being of veterans after they have served and, and, and also impact those families as well. Because, you know, let's face it, when a veteran has PTSD or chronic pain or an addiction or whatever, the family suffers just as much, you know. And so I, I, I really try person's... to look at this. Yeah, I look at it from a position of leadership, you know, and, and I ask myself, what would uh, you know, leaders that I have worked for, what would they be doing here? And, and this is it. Um, so yeah, incredibly liberating. And again, I just, you know, kind of transitioned many of my skills from, from the army into this space. And now we are, you know, I work as an activist. Uh, I'm a, you know, I'm on a bunch of boards, so I didn't want to name them all on the, on the I figured you went I right on the LinkedIn profile. I was like, I'm sure Todd's doing a lot more than this. He's just putting up the big highlights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, for example, my pet project is legalizing medical cannabis in the state of of Kansas um, and also putting forward Well, we've put forward and are working on a uh, research project with the Kansas City VA uh, to to pit cannabis versus pain among veterans and and watch, you know, because I live in the show me state. You know, and everyone keeps saying, show me some research and I'm going to show them, you know. <laughs> Appropriate because that research exists now. It's, it's coming out more. Now, you mm-hmm, said something. Yeah. You said something that I want to ask you about. You said uh, you've been doing this for a while now and things are actually starting to come out as you envision them. Mm-hmm. So this is what I'd like to ask you. What is your vision for mm-hmm. your mission in the cannabis industry? I mean, I, I understand the, the, the inspiration and the motivation, but mm-hmm. where do you see your work in the cannabis industry, where is your vision for your work in the cannabis industry five to 10 years from now? Okay, five years from now, um, you know, really, uh, really leading um, kind of medical cannabis research focused on the Midwest. Okay. Which sounds cuckoo to anyone Ah. in the cannabis space because they're what, you know, you know, because I mean, I'm talking for you from, from Missouri, where we do have an exceptional medical cannabis program. And that's why I've chosen to kind of have the fight here 
right? This is the first battle. Yeah. Uh, we, we, have, we have proposed a first of its kind medical cannabis research pain veterans and, and cannabis uh, and, and how cannabis can address their pain right here in Kansas City and, and across Missouri. We, we've, we've done this through AMVETS, which is one of the big six veteran service organizations yeah. um, founded here in Kansas City. Uh, we have uh, the chief medical executive uh, of, of that organization, um, Sharisa Jackson, is a retired uh, Air Force combat nurse who has helped us push this forward. And, and it's been briefed to Congress. And, you know, Congress is looking at the VA saying you need to do some research. And the VA is looking at Congress saying you need to give us the authority. And, and, and all of that's about to break. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, unmanacle us because we are poised, you know, we are ready to do this uh, all across the country. And, you know, and, and I wrote this proposal in such a manner that it could be replicated immediately in other states where, uh, where a medical can- cannabis program exists. And hopefully what it does is it kind of guides the conversation and the decision about expanding medical cannabis access to veterans across the country and around the world through the VA, right? And so the secret sauce of why this piece of terrain in Missouri and in the Midwest is such a critical location for this conversation is because of leadership. And that's what I'm hoping to bring to the table, both active duty and, and recently retired leadership, you know, general officers, senior non-commissioned officers, the medical ranks of, of the military, and be a part of, of shining the DOD's research lens and critical thinking capacity on, on this, you know, paradigm shift, on this plan, purpose-driven, right? Save some veterans' lives, save some soldiers' lives, uh, help a soldier that right now, and you know this, you know this struggle, help a soldier right now that is struggling with the decision of whether or not to continue to serve in uniform or to get out and have access for their child, perhaps, to access medical cannabis or access for their wife or access for themselves, you know, to treat an opioid addiction that perhaps they maybe know they have but know that they are driven towards that because you know the quality of their character is judged by the content of their urine. When we force people to go through you know these uh, you know barbaric practices of having us pee in a cup to tell me whether or not I'm good enough to serve the country, right? So I know I know what you mean. Yeah. It is uh, it is. It is an interesting thing to be in. It, it, that is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a strange thing. Um, and I know they have it on the private side too, in the, in the, in the public sector, they have their urinalysis test, but sure. I've never heard of anybody having any, as many exams as oh my the military does. And I, I understand it. I, I, it's the way it is right now, but mm-hmm. I, so I don't want to lose this thought because you were talking about families and somebody mm-hmm. who could use it, but can't. And this is what I... I'm not, I haven't recently looked at DOD's policy, but I know the Coast Guard a couple of years ago banned anybody from even walking into a place that sells CBD. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if a family member, child, mothers, spouse, fathers could benefit from that, the member, you know, they can always find other solutions. The spouse could go do it, but it's like, wow, you know, that's a really hard line. You can't even walk in there. And I'm not yeah. saying somebody should walk in there with uniform on because obviously there's mm-hmm. the, there's the optic of that. It's like, oh, these yeah. people in uniform are going in there. But it just seems a bit much to me. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll tell you. Just... Go ahead. I, 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 I saw it firsthand. I'll tell you a quick story. When I before I got out of the military, I went to Colorado on a quick reconnaissance trip. You know, and I had by this time I knew a lot about cannabis. And I knew a lot of people within the industry, and I also confirmed with Jag that I could go to a dispensary. Or maybe I misinterpreted what he said, but I I would I understood that I could go as long as I didn't. This is that was a Coast Guard rule only. It wasn't DOD. It was in oh yeah, was, uh, yeah. It was Coast Guard only. <laughs> well, I mean, there's varying degrees of insanity that are going on in terms of policy across the DOD regarding this plant. You know, for it, to to include the fact that we can't even have hemp milk in the commissary because they're afraid that someone will use that as plausible deniability for coming up hot on a year analysis, which is also interesting because you know they're prescribing widely across the DOD um, uh, Marinol, which is no a, which, yeah, which is synthetic THC. THC like the yeah. thing we're supposed to all be so scared of, they're actually prescribing it very widely across the DOD. And people are having to say, you know, I, uh, you may see THC in my urine, uh, but I have a prescription for Marinol. Um, so that's happening uh, right now. Wow, and, I didn't and, know and that. Again, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, it, but it's, it, it's fascinating to watch kind of the, the evolution of this. It's cool. It's very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I, and as, as challenging as, as 2020 was for many people, Mm-hmm. I always try to tell, to encourage them and say, you, 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 I heard you say it several times. It's like, we're alive in a very interesting time. And mm-hmm. it is, it's, we're in a new 21st century. Sure. So much is changing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. This plant within, within a couple of years, mm-hmm. we are more than 50% legalized at medical or recreational across the country. And there's a fabric in our country that looks to religious freedoms. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to ask you is, how do you view the world? Do you, do you view the world through religion, philosophy? And how has that been beneficial or sometimes caused pause as you went into the cannabis industry? Mm-hmm. That's good. That's really good question. We're going to get deep, Todd. We're going to get deep, my friend. <laughs> Please, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, you know, I should tell you, I just recently read a book by a guy named Brian Morarescu called The Immortality Key, which, which showed that psychedelics were really at the origin of religion. You know, uh, many years ago, I really highly recommend this book. Just for information, and just a, it's so interesting in terms of psychedelics. It's called the Immortality Key. I wish the I could be as smart as this key. guy. And, yeah, and who's the author? Uh, his name is Brian Murarescu. Okay. And um, yeah, very it's an ex- exceptional book. Incredibly well thought out and researched. You know, he went to the place in Greece where where this actually was taking place, called Eleusis, um, which was was later sacked and destroyed by the Romans in the fourth AD and, and, and kind of, that's the kind of the tipping point towards Christianity. Right. So I look at the world through the lens of someone who has seen a lot. I look at it through history. I look at it through uh, the lens of philosophy. And of course I overlay religion as a, as a cultural, a cultural aspect or a cultural 
phenomenon, I suppose, you know, and it is a guiding principle for so many, you know, uh, and, 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 but there are just so many religions out there. It's kind of hard to pick one, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but, but I, mean, I guess, I guess for me, where I really started seeing, you know, or really started looking at, at the world um, from this like unique religious perspective was when I was in Sarajevo, uh, yeah. you know, so we lived in Sarajevo for, for two years. Uh, I speak, Serbo-Croatian, I got, I got along so well with the Bosnians. And then I understood um, also the history that had, you know, lapped over, over that entire Balkan peninsula, right? And so I was in a place where I could look up and, and from the center of the city and I could see um, uh, the Jamias, you know, the, the Muslim uh, turrets that okay, were yeah, from, yeah. from all of the mosques. And there were just tons of mosques all across uh, Sarajevo, uh, backed by uh, beautiful Austro-Hungarian architecture and uh, Catholic churches. Uh, and then there were Serbian Orthodox overlaps as well in the Serbian side. Then there was the overlap of communist uh, architecture in many of the buildings. And it's, I mean, it was just really fascinating to see like this intersection of so much um, or, you know, to stand on the fields of Kosovo Polia in, in Kosovo and see where, you know, the Serbs were routed in 1389 by the Ottoman Empire and when that really started and how the clash of, of culture and religion um, have, have impacted the world over, over many years. Right, and then I also look at it from the the, the lens of uh, diplomacy and nation states and 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 larger global organizations. You know, the, everyone from the United Nations to the European Union and uh, NATO for me is a very you know it's, it's a big one for me. I really spend a lot of time working with NATO and NATO allies, living in NATO countries. So I look at it from that aspect as well. But I can't say that I have one defining uh, religious view that I look at. I, I'm kind of a spiritual but not religious guy. Um, I grew up in a religious family early on. Uh, I went to a Pentecostal church in Shafter, California, in a very rural community for years. And then I was introduced to Catholicism when my mother remarried into, you know, into a Mexican family that Catholicism was, was more on the fore and, and more common throughout that community. Um, and, and then obviously I've, I've been entirely, you know, in, I, I have such a deep um, interest of, of the Jewish faith as well and kind of how that intersects on the global scale because clearly that was a big part of European history where I spent a lot of time in the intersection of all of those cultures, religions, and history that intersect in Europe are also for me something that is just, you know, I take into account with many of the decisions that I make. You know, I, yeah. I, I ask my, who do I, when I ask myself, you know, a lot of people, and I know a lot of Christians ask, what would Jesus do? One, I think Jesus would be cool with weed, first and foremost. Um, <laughs> but, well, but made I also, he made it it's, it's not here on accident it, it's not by accident exactly 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 it, it, but i also ask myself you know what would what would eisenhower do and what would macarthur do and what would uh what would what, what would uh, you know religious leaders around the world what would they do i i i, I like um to know what the dalai lama would do and and what other and what will the pope do right 
the Pope, what would the Pope say? And so just to take, just to take a quick, uh, quick pause and go back to cannabis very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. If there were one person in the world, I think, who holds the most sway right now on, on cannabis acceptance on a global scale, it perhaps could be Il Pape, right? The Pope, uh, so? absolutely, because he has yet to come out with a statement that says, you know, cannabis can be medicine and cannabis is clearly a gift from God and cannabis should be explored. Instead, I think it's been uh, more closely, um, I think he's, he said something that, you know, we don't need another substance to abuse. When in fact, you know, this is a substance that could really contribute to, to mankind, I think. And that does so hopefully blow that, my mind. that will evolve. That will evolve. True. I, th I think it will too. And I hope it does because it just blows my mind that I hear, here's, I'll give you a quick example. Conversation, cannabis, and Christianity. I got the, a lot of people on the cannabis side aren't really interested because Christianity is in the title. And vice mm -hmm. versa with Christianity and the cannabis. Oh, that's so <laughs> and, and unfortunate. Exactly. And this is where I'm like, well, this is exact. That's exactly why we're doing this right now. It's yeah. exactly why I'm very thankful to be talking with you right now. Because if you're a Christian, then you have to believe that this may this earth was made intentionally, intelligent mm -hmm. design. And that includes the cannabis and hemp plants. And then the question is, well, why? And we, you, you touched on it and you said, now that research has been opened up, people can do clinical trials and we can we actually dig into this plant and see what it does. Mm -hmm. You have to figure, well, we have an endocannabinoid system in our human bodies. It, 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 it reeks of man-made demonization that should be reversed, which is, again, completely amazing that even after, because life in the military can be demanding and when you get done with it i know a lot of people fall apart literally fall apart and it's sad to see it and it's inspiring and motivating and i'm hoping a lot of people are inspired and encouraged by the work that you're doing to help people and that is really cool to me that is really cool to me and thank you very much <laughs> It, it is my honor, man. It's an absolute privilege. And, you know, there's lots of room in this industry, by the way. And there's lots of there's lots of progress that still needs to be made and lots of conversations that have to be had. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I think this is an incredibly important one. Right. Because, you know, the the clergy is incredibly influential across societies. Right. And, you know, all religions, I believe, um, seek to, to express and to represent compassion and, and care for people. And I can't think of anything more compassionate. I can't think of anything that has a greater potential than, than the application of cannabis to the human species and, and other species by that, by that manner, right? I mean, Amen. medicines for animals and humans and, and everything is it's on the forefront. 
it is in our future. If people don't like legal cannabis, they're not going to like the future. So we have to learn how to coexist with it. Um, but I think really it can be an incredible blessing in so many lives of so many people on, on a number of different levels. And Miguel, I appreciate you for, for allowing me this platform a little bit today and to have this conversation. Um, and I would be more than pleased to come back again and, and have another discussion. That would be great because I know we're barely scratching the surface. We're barely scratching yeah. the surface. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, before we before we sign off, I'm going to give you the floor because, uh, man, I mean, I want to hear more. I want to hear more. I mean, I know we can't keep going, but I want to I want to I want to give you that. Yeah, absolutely. To, to close this absolutely. Out and uh, well, let us know. know. Uh, let's keep the conversation going. We, you can find my company at harvest360.co. Um, BL, you can find BLDV as well at BLDV.us. Um, I know you're you on LinkedIn. Find, oh, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all of the things that the kids are doing these days, you know. And, uh, you know, I try to stay active on them as much as possible. But, you know, uh, driving a paradigm shift is, is it, it, takes a, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Um, and I'm trying to do all of that while still maintaining a relationship with my wife and family. <laughs> well, I tell you, that's key. That's critical. Yeah, absolutely. That's, critical. that's my barometer. That's my barometer uh, in my, you know, or my litmus test for everything that I'm doing. Like, you know, if, if mom is happy, then, then everything is good. If the kids remember my name and, and, and I'm doing something that's exemplary for them, then everything is good. And you know what? That is important. That is super important because that's your family. You're the model for your children as well as your wife. And you guys, you, you make the time, but you still, this is what I've been telling, this is what I've been telling uh, my, my kids were kind of curious as to why I was going to the library every weekend. I was working on a master's degree a couple of years ago and, and. Uh, why's daddy's nightstand smell like a skunk? <laughs> Not a couple of years ago. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, that's a couple of years ago. It was like, it smells like IPAs and red wine in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's like, we have to do things because we're motivated and have passion in an area and it requires time. And when you're with a family, you don't want to neglect your family because you've been in service so long. They've been going where you're going and the military sends you where they're going to send you. We have a little bit of say in that, but not complete. And valuing the valuing your family because that is where you have the first impact every day when you wake up and when you go to bed and that's mm -hmm. cool man this is just part one with mr todd scatini s-c-a-t-t-i-n-i global ceo of harvest 360 todd thank you very much for being with us this is all for kind of conversation cannabis and christianity we will see you next time goodbye have a good day we love you all